I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. I appreciate everyone who has been reaching out and leaving questions. I actually have two questions for the Q&A later on that, you know, I think it's incredibly interesting to me when people send in questions because it seems to be I get like the same question from several different folks and I just think that's really amazing so that way that person who asked the question they can get their answer and also help out you know many other people so I'm excited for that I also want to revisit some of the moral compass stuff that we talked about or work that we talked about in the beginning of the podcast when I first started I haven't brought it back up a ton and yesterday we had this situation here in my family where I was like whoa you know this is really an awesome thing to share on the podcast i think it will make sense and bring things into perspective and i have some questions that i'll leave you with for self-reflection in order to help continue continuously shift your mindset towards that recovery path so yesterday um, as many of you know i should start off and just saying that i have an 11 year old son and he is in that stage of development where he's trying to reach autonomy and he's also sort of pushing back and learning his own set of moral rules and his own you know way of handling emotions so it's awesome because i get we jay and i get to teach him emotion regulation which i feel very blessed to be able to do as i know that i would not have been able to do that years ago um, without this journey so Anyway, we go outside because it's beautiful. I mean, we're in Michigan, right? So it's been snowing. It's first year here in Michigan, and it is impressive how much it snows out here. (laughs) Um, And they say it's a mild winter, so I'm sure we're in for a great treat next, (laughs) next season. But it was like it had hit 40 degrees. So we're all, you know, got cabin fever, going stir crazy. We go outside to play basketball. And it's something we do. We have a basketball hoop in the driveway. So it's something that we do as a family. We all like to play and get involved. And um, we're playing with my son. And it was just me and him. We were playing one-on-one. Jay had gone in, in the house. And we start playing. And my son, he tends to want to alter the rules of a game so that he can feel in control. And... So what happens is, you know, we play make it, take it. If you're not familiar with this game, it's when you shoot a basket. If the ball doesn't hit the rim, then you can get the ball and just shoot it right back up if you're on the opposite team. If it hits the rim, you have to dribble the ball back out to the, say, foul shooting line, and then you can bring the ball back up. That's one of the rules in the game. So as we start playing, I shoot the ball, it hits the rim. My son grabs the ball and then just puts it right back up and doesn't dribble it out. So I go, hmm, bud, you know, the ball hit the rim. And he's like, no, it didn't. I'm like, huh, okay, I could be wrong. So we start, we keep playing, happens again. Bud, and it clearly, like we have, you know, we're pretty fortunate that we have a pretty big backboard. So, I mean, the ball hit the backboard, didn't hit the rim, and it, you know, it was like, my shot was way off, it was like this clear sound, you can hear the ball hit the backboard, and he's like, no, 
you know, he's like, no, it hit the rim. So, you know, just little things back and forth where he's trying to convince me that the ball hit the backboard or hit the rim in order to for him to be able to get the ball and shoot it right back up without having to dribble it out. It gives him an advantage that way because he gets the rebound and he can very quickly make that shot. You know, just to give you perspective as well, he's 5'2 and I'm 5'4. So, I mean, we're sort of <laughs> pretty matched in height. He might even be taller than that now, honestly. You know, so... I was winning at the time where he starts engaging in this behavior, basically trying to bully me into believing that what he saw, what his his alteration of the rules is correct versus what I was experiencing, which I'm clearly seeing, you know, the ball hits the rim, the ball hits the backboard. I'm clearly seeing that. And then he's trying to convince me that I'm not. So time passes. And again, I'm waiting for him as we're playing to acclimate. He's 11. So I'm waiting for him to start playing by the rules. Then I'm dribbling and the ball almost goes out of bounds but doesn't and he tries to tell me my foot is out of bounds. So again, like lots of little things that he's doing instead of focusing his attention on playing the game, he's focused on the fact that he's losing and he's trying to regain his own feeling of power and his own feeling of control by changing the rules to try to bully me into believing his rules and his you know, I guess lie really is what it is. So eventually I walk away, I get my ball, get the ball, I walk away and I say, I can't play basketball with a bully. Not in any kind of emotional way, just in a matter of fact way, because it's not fun to play with someone who's not really playing the game, but focusing their energy on bullying, right? So that's how he was gaining power and control is trying to control what I saw as my reality. So first, let me just pause here in the story and, you know, I want you to see if this hits close to home for you. So how many times have you found yourself in a situation in a relationship where instead of trying to gain power and control, and I'm not talking about dysfunctional power, I mean the feeling of feeling capable and confident and powerful and of feeling in control, How many times have you tried to get that in a relationship by bullying the person that you're in relationship with because you felt insecure or you felt like you weren't good enough? This is exactly what was happening with my son on the basketball court yesterday. And so I just wanted you to see, you know, that very clear comparison there, that when we start to feel like we don't have control and we don't have power, we start to engage in these bullying behaviors that as an adult, they become tyrannical, right? It's gaslighting what he was doing. I mean, he's 11, so we're not going to, I'm not going to call my child a gaslighter. However, he's learning at 11 what's appropriate social behavior and what's inappropriate social behavior. So anyway, back to the story. So I walk away and I ended up having to go to the library to return these books. So I drive to the library to return these books while he's finishing up something for school. And I come back and when I come back, I walk in the door and he immediately comes over to me and he's like, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. And he gives me a hug. Now, I didn't mention this, but before I left, he was angry with me because that's common, right? If someone calls you out on a behavior, your tendency is going to want to defend yourself. So he was angry, trying to convince me that he wasn't bullying me, whatever. And I just ignored, went to the library, came back, and that was the response that I got. He came up and he was like, I'm sorry. You know, and then we had a family meeting and it was just so 
beautiful because he was able to describe exactly what he, he had been doing that was socially inappropriate. He explained every incident with the ball and the backboard and my foot out of bounds and passing the ball to me incorrectly and all these other things that he had done to try to win this game that he was losing. In other words, to try to feel in control and powerful and capable and confident. And, you know, he's explaining, well, I, you know, I just saw the ball hit the rim, but I said it didn't because I was losing and it would be easier for me to just get the ball and shoot it right up and get my point that way. So he was able to say that, verbalize it calmly. We're just in a meeting, family meeting. And Jay asked him, why did you do that? And he was like, because I was losing and I wanted to feel in control. So Jay goes, well, what makes you feel powerful? Like, what makes you feel like you're in control? And he says, well, when I'm winning, I always feel good when I'm winning. And, you know, come to find out, and, you know, it was a very proud mama moment because he was able to recognize that he felt powerful being able to control my view of the world around me. When he could tell me that I didn't see what I actually saw, it made him feel powerful. And at this point, this is something that he's trying to unlearn. He had been doing this for, you know, a while. It's, you know, as a child, he's trying to unlearn this behavior. So we talked to him about other ways that he could feel powerful in that situation. I'm giving this example because it's very concrete. You know, it's basketball. So if you're bullying someone when you're playing a game of basketball because you want to win and you feel like winning is the thing that gives you power and control, there are other ways around that. And we explained to him, like, you can practice in the game of basketball so that you can become confident in your skills so that you don't have to cheat so that you don't have to bully someone because that confidence will come across in the game and humility and all of these other things that you can do to feel power powerful versus having that dysfunctional kind of power because there's nothing wrong with wanting to feel strong and capable and powerful and in control so what do we we go outside and we play again and the goal for him as his consequence is to play as hard as he can to use his skills to prove to himself that he can gain power and control through the skills that he has developed in practicing and playing basketball. And he was able to do it and he crushed me because he's good and he has long arms and I mean... <laughs> I just started playing basketball a couple of years ago. So it was funny. He has very capable and he really did well. And so it was this awesome learning moment for him and for me as well. Because I started to realize that many of us do this. People with borderline personality disorder is that we are seeking control and we're seeking power and we're getting it in a way that is unhealthy and in a way that is bullying and we don't often see that there's another way. First, I think we don't often admit that we seek power and control right? And then I think that we don't often see that we're seeking power and control. And that's where it sort of brings back to moral compass work. So we talked, you know, yesterday in our family meeting about honesty, which is speaking and acting truthfully. So that was something that he was not doing when he was bullying. We talked about forgiveness of others and self. So choosing that he didn't have to punish himself for making that mistake that he could let go of those emotions we talked about integrity doing the right thing even when no one's watching because oftentimes he'll do the right thing when jay's around specifically it's like that father son dynamic 
we talked about humility so which is giving up what you think you deserve so he thought that he deserved to win more than me in the relationship with him that was what he had his sights on winning winning was more important than trying hard than effort than patience than being in a relationship at that time you know and so these are all of the you know moral values that he had been violating and i'm sure there are more right there's also love right does your love look like love because he was playing against his mother and he was still trying to bully me So when we had this family meeting and he had this natural consequence of having to play the game again and relearn the skills, we also talked about all of the things that he could do next time in terms of his moral values in order to be able to build a bridge of connection back to the person he's spending time with when something like this happens, right? So what I want you to ask yourself today is what makes you feel powerful what makes you feel powerful and after you've looked at that you know sometimes some people will say you know i think they'll maybe respond with well i don't know i don't want to feel powerful i just don't want to be left well you want to feel powerful when you seek control so i think the first thing you need to realize when you're asking yourself this question is that you have to accept that you do actually seek power you know anyone who's in a situation where they want control they want power and they want strength and they want to feel capable so when i ask you what makes you feel powerful maybe all of the things that you can list right now are dysfunctional right i mean for my son what made him feel powerful was bullying you know let's say gaslighting again he's 11 so i'm not saying my 11 year old gaslighted me but if that were an adult right that'd be gaslighting telling me that my reality isn't reality over and over and over again and then getting angry when i challenged it so maybe those are the things that make you feel powerful maybe splitting makes you feel powerful maybe having a favorite host makes you feel powerful maybe you know choosing the groceries that your family buys or you know getting angry if you know your partner didn't buy the right kind of milk makes you feel powerful so if those are the things that currently make you feel powerful you want to list them out list them out what are the things that make you feel powerful and then you want to ask yourself am i seeking power at the expense of someone else Am I seeking power at the expense of someone else? So in this basketball situation, my son was seeking power at the expense of me. Or it would have been a friend or someone else in that moment, right? Or with the grocery store situation, getting the exact milk that that individual wants or that exact power, um, sorry, product, that's seeking power at the expense of someone else it's not taking into consideration that maybe the other person wants a different cereal or a different milk or wants to do it a different way or wants their own space for individuality right then my third question to you is how can i feel powerful within myself instead of at the expense of someone else how can i feel powerful within myself instead at the expense of someone else so once you start to ask yourself that question you can fall back on your moral compass work 
Because in order to feel powerful in a situation and to feel calm and in control, you have to take that locus of control that you've externalized, given to the world around you, and sort of like balance that that with your insecurities and bring it within you. And you look at your moral compass work and you start looking, okay, you know, if I feel powerful when I'm capable, right? Let's go back to basketball. When he played the basketball game the second time, he was able to use his skills and exert effort, even though that was something that he maybe didn't feel like doing the first time because it's uncomfortable, it's not easy, it's harder. But he fell back on the skills that he had developed and he felt powerful because he felt competent and capable and he won the game. Right? So... How you can feel powerful without feeling powerful at the expense of someone else is going back to your moral compass work and starting starting to practice those moral values over and over and over and over again until you can feel convicted in them, right? So remember, some of the moral compass values we had were honesty, forgiveness, integrity, humility, selfless service, joy, All of these values that I had laid out are things that you can use to feel in control of yourself so that you can feel competent, capable, strong, and powerful in a relationship situation. Let's say you get into an argument with your partner and, you know, your partner... You you want your partner to do things a certain way. You know, I definitely feel like I, you know, was controlling, even, you know, can be controlling still. I need to be made aware of it if I'm doing it, and then I'll correct that behavior. So if I'm engaging in a behavior that's controlling or I'm trying to micromanage the world around me, what I'll do is take a step back and look at what moral compass violation, let's say, I'm engaging in, and usually it's loyalty. Because loyalty means having someone's back. And when you have a person's back, you allow them space to be themselves and to grow in their own individuality, right? Like if I micromanage everything that Jay does, I'm not being loyal because I'm not respecting him as a person in the world and I'm not having his back to allow him to have space to be an individual. And so instead of bullying him into doing what I want him to do, seeking power in a dysfunctional and unhealthy way, I'm going to go back, look at my moral compass work and try to practice being convicted in the moral that I am deficient in executing, right? So practicing being convicted in the moral value of loyalty. And if I do that over and over and over again, then I don't need to feel powerful by bullying him or by controlling him. I can feel powerful by feeling confident in our relationship and who I am and my ability to be a good partner, therefore decreasing my level of insecurity and decreasing my need and want to engage in that bullying behavior. So here, three questions again for you for today before we get into Q&A for self-reflection. Question one, what makes you feel powerful? Whether or not that's functional or dysfunctional, we don't have to necessarily assign emotions to that right now. We can just list those qualities out. And then two, am I seeking power at the expense of someone else? 
And how can I seek power by engaging in skills instead of doing that at the expense of someone else? So those are the three reflection questions that I want you to engage in today. And then I want you to list out the moral compass values that you need to go back and work on at that stage of the ladder that you are on in order to become convicted in that moral compass value so you can feel more competent and capable. And also, right before we wrap up, I just want to remind you all that when you have experienced mastery in a skill, you do feel confident. And I'm sure all of you out there have mastered at least one skill in your lifetime. You know, maybe it's like, you know, I know that when you get in that dark brain, we we don't really want to acknowledge that because we disqualify the positive. But, you know, what if that's going to the grocery store, having enough money to buy frozen waffles and then popping them in your toaster oven? That's still a skill. You feel confident in that. You feel confident in your ability to toast up those those waffles. So that can be with anything. Anything you're good at, you're going to feel confident in. So if you've practiced a skill over and over and over again, like these moral values, the moral compass values, you've done that over and over and over again, you're going to feel confident in social situations because you're not going to use emotions and reasoning to talk your way out of being convicted in your moral value. And you're going to know exactly who you are. But it is a slow process. So what I want you to do if you're listening and you're like, oh, yeah, like I I do try to, I do still try to gain power and control in this dysfunctional way. Go back. List out your moral compass. List them every value out and work on one at a time. Let's say you want to work on integrity, which is doing the right thing when no one's watching. Take that one value and work on it every single day for the next 30 days. At the end of those 30 days, reevaluate things. Are all of your choices aligning with that? Are you doing the right thing even when no one's watching, even when it's difficult? And have you really got that under your belt? Do you feel like you can move on? If after 30 days you feel like, you know what, I'm becoming convicted in integrity, I need to move on to humility, giving up what I think I deserve. And then once you move on into humility then you can do that for another 30 days. So again, it's a slow process. So if you're having a hard time with your moral compass work, it might be because, like most of us, we're impulsive and we want everything right now. We want recovery now. This doesn't work that way. Remember, recovery is something that you're doing now until, you know, I guess forever. You're just always becoming enlightened. So first you distance yourself from the disorder and then you, you know, sort of start to implement these skills And then you're just living now. So you're just going to live as someone who has integrity, honesty, self-discipline, forgiveness, humility, kindness, selfless service, joy. You're just going to do that and that's going to become part of who you are. But it's a slow process. So I just want you to start to get yourself thinking about what are the things that I maybe rushed through. Like, yeah, 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 I'm honest. Yeah, 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 I'm loyal until I split. I'm loyal until I have an episode, well, then that's not really loyalty, right? So go back and recognize that just like my son in that basketball game, you know, he's a kind person. He's a nice kid. He's a very honest kid. He's a very forgiving child and he's growing into a humble adult. He really is. However, 
When he had a high pressure situation where he felt out of control and powerless, he engaged in behaviors using emotion and reasoning. He started feeling emotional, like he was going to lose, and he let his emotions take away his conviction. So we often do that. When you're splitting, don't allow your emotions and reason to take away your conviction of being a loyal partner and having your partner's back. Take your time out. Look at these reflective questions and keep practicing at it over and over and over again. Right? Speaking of basketball, here's a great metaphor. You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. So take a stab at it. And even if you have to live from one breath to the next breath, from one moment to the next moment, tell yourself just this moment, just this breath, and keep moving. I promise it will get better. So first of all, thank you from Germany. You really helped to change my life um, over the last half year. And my question would be, I'm, I'm in recovery for, for a while now and it's going well, but there's uh, those times when it's really overwhelming or I'm bored even or things are really bad and I engage in some kind of uh, harmful behavior, which I know is bad for me, which I know is, uh, is, is really bad for me. But um, it's just this kind of really engraved pattern that's that's in my mind and I now I have a choice and I try to get it in my mind but it's like an addiction and I don't know really how to if if this occurs and if this harmful behavior really reveals itself as an option how you decide really decide to go the other way and this is it's just really hard thank you I just want to say, first of all, thank you, Nicholas, for listening, for supporting the podcast, and for sharing your journey a little bit in your Q&A and your question. I think it's just, when I heard your question, I thought, oh, this is a great question. I've had clients ask me this question all week, and it's also a tough topic, I think, to address, because what you're describing is one of the more, I think, personal and vulnerable parts of having um, borderline personality disorder or an impulsive, I guess, personality, just kind of impulsive. So what you're saying is that when things are calm, you can feel yourself needing to engage in something impulsive, almost like this, like I'm lurching my body forward. Obviously you guys can't see me, but it's like, a, <clears throat> like I want to punch something or I want to, you know, if it's negative or I want to, you know, dance or I want to destroy something or I want to target someone or I just want to do something and I want to do it in a big, intense way, right? Even when things are fine. So this is a common experience for individuals with borderline personality disorder. And I don't, you know, I'm not going to be talking in clinical scientific terms right now. I'm going to talk just in how I experience it. So, you know, the way that I would experience that is like just this drive. And when I was in the space that you're in, I remember that where I would like everything would be fine, but it was almost like too fine, boring, you know, mundane. And so my brain was used to following in those patterns of finding something negative to attack and attack it. So the first thing you need to do is become aware of that, which you've already done. And then the second thing I would want you to do well there's two parts to it you know I think first of all you want to understand that as you transform and you're able to see this neurotypical world and you're able to engage in these good habits and have these moral values that you also are going to be someone who's hyperbolic because that's you know partly just who we are and that hyperbole that you know in 
intense energy that we have to think a lot or to feel those drives to be impulsive, it needs to be let out. There needs to be an outlet for that. So it could be, you know, again, this like working out or, you know, this having this chaos that's controlled and really choosing to focus on that. And I know you said, well, it's a choice, but how do I get around it? You know, I think that there is also, if, if, the choosing to work out, choosing to do something that's chaotic but yet constructive is not something you've quite gotten to, then I'm also wondering if part of this is a sensory thing. And I talked about this in my morning group today, so that was really interesting to follow it up with this conversation. But what we were saying is that, you know, when you get to these points where you feel like this impulse to do something, to do something destructive or like intense or adrenaline driven or, you know, something like that, that like it can come out in different ways. So one person had mentioned squeezing their dog. I had a client a long time ago who admitted to like getting angry at their dog when there wasn't someone else present. I had clients that admit to like hurting their animals. I know it's really sad and a lot of you will deeply feel upset by that, you know, but it's just an example of how dark this impulsive drive is, right? When you get really angry, you just like squeeze or hug your dog or you just like punch something or you just you just have this urge to attack. And so why I say sensory is that I've often found clients to have success with pressure right? Maybe having a weighted blanket or having, um, there are these, they call them hug machines that they use for people with autism. There are also these blankets that you can buy that you can like sort of the rubber, uh, not rubbery, but stretchy that you can buy for a child with autism or an adult with autism. And you, excuse me, sort of wrap yourself in it, up in it and get pressure that way. That often that pressure or that sensory input can help decrease the feeling or the need to want to engage in that aggressive sort of adrenaline driven impulsively negative behavior and that can look different for you than it does for me or other people so it's really if you if that resonates with you if you like pressure meaning like tensing up all of your muscles and then relaxing or having someone squeeze you as hard as they can or um, other sensory things could be like, you know, eating. Another thing that would help me when I was in those modes, which is dysfunctional, I mean, they used to call it an eating disorder, was that I liked, I liked to crunch. So I would like crunch, just pick up food piece after piece after piece and just keep crunching. And that feeling of my jaw crunching the food was soothing. So I felt like I could work better and was more productive when I was crunching than we call that binge eating because I'm crunching and crunching and crunching for hours when I was in my doctoral program but it was soothing to me and it prevented me from doing other dysfunctional things again not a healthy thing to do you know my point being that this drive this adrenaline rush this impulse it needs to be soothed in some way right okay so let me recap everything I said. So I'm saying, Nicholas, that what you first want to do is try to choose to do something to change your physical state that's just as impulsive as the drive to do something dysfunctional. And if that doesn't work, try to find out what sensory input would help you feel calm. And maybe it's squeezing up 
all of your muscles and relaxing them. Maybe it's having pressure or a weighted blanket or even getting a punching bag and punching something so you have that you know, input there, that sensory input. Maybe it's chewing gum because you're getting that sensory input. Whatever it is for you, you want to see, you know, kind of play around with that as an idea. Perhaps there is a sensory component and maybe it's that's the thing that's driving that need to do something chaotic or something intense. Also, you know, like for another thing that I was able to do is start this business, right? When I first started this business, it was very chaotic in a controlled way. I was kind of doing all these moving pieces with this website, etc. And I didn't know what it was going to look like. So I actually built this business, you know, to be able to help people out of that chaos. So there are many things that you can do if you work with it. I would encourage you not to stay in a space of shame or guilt where you think to yourself, well, I'm a bad person because look, look at this. Like even when things are fine and calm, you know, I want to go negative or, you know, I'll never get through this because even when things are good, I'm looking for problems. I mean, part of it is just your acceptance of the space that you're in, which is, hey, things are boring and mundane, and then learning how to channel that energy. And eventually, you know, you won't have those really intense impulsive drives because you've built, you will have built this life where you have these moral values and you're pouring yourself into whatever activities you're doing in a day. But right now, that sensory input might be necessary to offset that adrenaline rush. Um, And last thing I want to say, someone else described it to me as this like um, tingly feeling in their forehead or in their brain where they feel like, oh, I'm starting to feel this intense pressure in my head. And that's the thing that makes them, you know, want to do the adrenaline impulse driven behavior. So maybe you do your body has some tells or some physical signs that let you know that you're in that path. You're on that path. These are all really normal things that are part of the recovery process, part of the diagnosis. It's just channeling them to be, you know, functional, good choices, good consequences versus dysfunctional, bad choices, bad consequences. All right. Hopefully that helps, Nicholas. If you have any follow-up questions, please feel free. Send them out to me. I would love to hear from you guys. Anyone else who has questions, send them out. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.